leadership. It's all around us. You'll find it from the battlefield. Left, Cadet Livingston. Your other left. To the orchestra pit. Uh, Mr. Livingston, you'll find the mouthpiece on the other end of your clarinet. And to the basketball court. With mere seconds to go to win the game. Put me in, coach. I'll make the shot. Livingston, I'm not going to tell you to sit down again. And besides, you're the water boy. Leadership. It's what we're talking about today. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Leadership. If you look, I have a feeling that you'll find it all around us in one form or another, whether at home in the workplace or on the football field. Why, I remember my high school mentor, Coach Rumenek, always sharing one piece of wisdom or another with the team. He'd often say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Except for bears. Bears will kill you. Ah, Coach Rumi, such wise words. And while I've never got to put that advice to the test, I'm sure it still rings true today, especially for the 97% of the population who live in highly densely urbanized areas. I have a feeling that today's guest, leadership expert Vanessa Udelman, is going to share just a bit more practical insights than good old Coach Rumi. Vanessa is a sought-after author and coach. She's a contributor to CKNW Radio and a guest lecturer in the MBA program at Ted Rogers School of Management. And we're so lucky to have her here today. Vanessa, I have a feeling you'll be able to rival good old Coach Rumenick's wise words of wisdom. What do you think? Of course, Jeff. That's why I'm here. I've really been looking forward to this call ever since you and I first spoke about the topic of leadership and how we could tailor it so it's meaningful to our HR audience. And you came up with this great idea that focuses on retention and what the HR professional should be considering to ensure the organization is not only keeping strong leaders, but there's that connection between them and their team. And I'm really interested to lean into that today with you. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, HR, there's a lot of different things that HR leaders need to think about, HR practitioner, practitioners need to focus on. And leadership is a huge part of it because you have to retain leaders. They set the tone in an organization. They set culture. They drive strategy. And if you think about it this way, Jeff, leaders actually make or break a person's experience at work. So for anyone listening, let me ask you this question. Have you had a bad boss before? I certainly have, right? And working for a bad boss sucks. Nobody wants to work for someone who isn't inspiring or motivating or cares about you. So leaders really set the tone for people's experience at work. And so that's really one of the core reasons, and there are many more, why we need to focus on a leadership retention strategy. Vanessa, I totally agree. A big part of HR 
is all about keeping those high performers and making sure they're engaged with the culture, the purpose of the organization, and their work. Now, you've come up with HR's four C's of leadership, but before we get in to those four C's of retaining great leaders, can you share with us why leadership retention is critically important for businesses and HR professionals these days? So if you think about um, strategy, Strategy is the critical component of, of an organization's success. You've got to start with your strategy. But who is it that leads the strategy? It's your leaders. Who is it that motivates and engages people to align with your organizational strategy? It's leaders. Who is it that keeps that develops people in your organization? It's your leaders. So leaders really are pivotal component, important component of your organization not only to help you drive your strategy, but also to motivate and, and engage the rest of the workforce. So they're key. They're like, I call leaders like the glue that holds an organization together. Makes perfect sense, Vanessa. The glue, at the end of the day, without that glue, you're not gonna be able to show the employees that there is indeed a single company identity that's composed of a shared culture, a shared vision, a shared direction and purpose. So Vanessa, what are the four C's that HR professionals need to focus on that's going to help organizations keep their leaders? Okay, so we're going to discuss compassion, curriculum, culture, and coaching. Okay, awesome. So let's start with compassion. Is it a quality that you suggested HR professionals focus on before the pandemic, or is it a response to the pandemic? Yeah, so that's a really good question. You know, I would say before, but, and it's even more critical now, right? Because if you think about leadership, it's very multifaceted. I like to use the metaphor, Jeff, of a spider web, right? So so leadership is like a web with lots of layers and, and facets of complexity that leaders need to manage. So if you think about it before the pandemic, what are some of those components of complexity, right? So things like... Um, massive and constant change, a global work, a workforce, multi-generations at work, keeping up with technological changes, right? So all of these facets of the leadership web are still relevant today. So let's say if we're using this metaphor of the web before the pandemic, maybe it was a 20 foot web. A leader's web now is 40 feet because they have all of those components of complexity that they had to manage before the pandemic. Now we're layering on new things like 17 months of leading virtually, uh, managing their own mental health, right? Plus the mental health of people on their team. We're adding on diversity. Um, we're adding on even more change and the list goes on. Plus another layer of leaders web of complexity is they're accountable not only for achieving their own goals, plus managing and engaging their team, right? So that's a lot. So for me, anyone in HR really needs to have compassion for leaders to really understand that they're managing this, this world of, of complexity, this web of complexity on a daily basis. So let me give you an example, Jeff. Let's say as an HR professional, you're responsible for recruiting, right? And you're dealing with a manager who is trying to recruit someone on, on, on their team and you're helping them out. Be compassionate that this manager is really busy with so many other components and facets of their web. Maybe the time frame, your time frame and their time frame aren't aligned. Um, maybe when you give them feedback, 
you know, they're not being responsive. So do it with compassion, knowing that they're, they, they may be overwhelmed, right? Um, but the good news that I have to say, Jeff, is I've worked in HR departments for many, many years. I ran an organization, uh, ran a department of organizational development and learning, and I've run teams for many years. And the good news is, I would say most HR people go into HR because they are compassionate and because they care. So to me, it's like it's like built into our DNA as HR professionals anyways. And I just think it's important to leverage that skill of compassion for HR professionals. Awesome. So the next C after compassion is curriculum. Why is it so important for HR to develop a leadership curriculum within the organization? So, okay, I want you to ask you this question, Jeff. I know that you have a six-year-old. So let's say your six-year-old is now 10 years down the road is 16 and she is going to start driving. Now, would you give her car keys and say, off you go, sweetie? Or would you take her to driving lessons and driving ed class and make sure she had all of the tools that she needed before she got into that car? What would you do? Well, I'd probably wrap her up in bubble wrap to begin with. <laughs> and um, forbid her from dating anyone until she's 30. But I would certainly, I mean, I would take her out. Um, the two of us, we'd go to the parking lot. We'd start at the parking lot. And then we'd progress to maybe the, the street. And then she would take driver's ed. And, um, and we'd, we'd go from there. So, yeah, it's, it's baby steps. Yeah. Okay, so I like to use that analogy when I'm talking about leadership, because what happens is leaderships are leaders are promoted into leadership roles for the first time. They're essentially given the car keys and the organization says, now drive. They don't have driver's ed. They don't know the basic tools of leadership. You know, learning to lead a leadership curriculum, learning to lead is not rocket science, but it's skills that a leader has never done before, right? When you move into leadership, even within leadership, Jeff, there's, there's many levels or passages, right? So if you think about the first level of leadership, um, when you go from an individual contributor to being a leader, that requires certain skills. When you get promoted to managing other managers, that requires different skills. When you move into from managing a department to managing an enterprise within an organization, that's even another layer of leadership that requires more skills, right? So I do a lot of, for example, what I call transition coaching, moving people from a manager to a director or a VP to an SVP, because even within leadership, these different roles require different skills. So let me give you an example. In my book, Mastering Leadership, I wrote about um, one of my clients called Scott. So this is pretty typical, what Scott, Scott's, what happened to Scott, right? So Scott's um, so amazing. He's so good at his job. He's really a star performer within the IT department. So his boss said, I've got this new manager position. Who would be a good choice for this leadership role? It's Scott. Okay, so Scott's 20 years old, 28 years old. He's very ambitious, he's bright, he's hardworking, but he's had no leadership experience. You know, when he went to university um, and did his master's in technology, he never learned how to lead people. So now Scott has five IT professionals reporting to him, but he's never learned how to manage, right? He doesn't know how to coach. He doesn't know how to give feedback. He doesn't know how to manage conflict, right? And so what's happened to Scott is he is feeling insecure. He's, he's lacking confidence for the first time in his career. 
And so curriculum is critically important because we need to prepare our leaders with the tools they need at each level of leadership. Yeah, it makes sense because you're new to leadership or maybe the landscape has changed. So one thing when, when I was researching before we started the podcast, if for this podcast, one thing that was really interesting was that, you know what, when you're looking at leadership, they're always improving that skill set because the landscape changes, because new things are happening, new things are being introduced to the business and new things are being introduced to that competitive landscape. Yeah, and in our ever-changing environment, the leader cur curriculum is not one and done. It's never done. I always think about um, uh, what the last organization I worked at, um, the CEO was two years away from retiring and he was still learning and growing. So the learning never ends. And I think as HR professionals, most of us love learning too. That's why we're in this industry. But the learning never ends. Makes perfect sense, Vanessa. As an HR professional, it's up to us to encourage that curious mindset in our leaders, which nine times out of 10 is always there. And for us to create those learning programs that show we're investing in our leaders and nurturing that curiosity. So they don't have to go elsewhere to scratch that development itch. Okay, Vanessa, what are those core components that the HR professional needs to consider? What are the topics and the frequency of training sessions that they need to take into account when developing and launching leadership training? Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so I, you know, because let's go back to that analogy of the web. Okay, so the leadership web is very complex. And I think when you're creating a leadership curriculum, your job in HR is to break down the complexity of leadership. The way that I do it in my leadership programs is by focusing on three things. The first is creating curriculum around what I call pillar number one, know yourself. You Leaders have to have self-awareness. So for example, I'll use the DISC tool. I think it's a great tool um, to create self-awareness for leaders. In HR, you decide what tool do you wanna use? Is it DISC? Is it Herman Brain Dominance? Is it HPDI? Is another terrific tool it looks more at where DISC looks at your work style, HPDI looks at your thinking style. So I'll often use that when I'm working with very left brain leaders. So decide on that tool organizationally that you wanna use. So leaders really have a lot of self-awareness. The second pillar I'd focus on in your, in your curriculum is managing your team. So what do they need to know? Like how do they coach their people? How do they give feedback? How do they develop them? Um, how do they create a high performing team? And then the third pillar I was I would focus on, which leaders need to know how to do, especially as they get more senior in the organization, is lead your business. So again, what is for more junior levels? It's things like how do I prioritize and get clear on my priorities? How do I delegate? Um, for all leaders, it's leading and managing change. And then at the more, at the higher levels of leadership, it's around strategy and execution. How do I build and develop strategies? So I think the first thing is to think about. What are your key pillars of leadership that you and, and clearly define them, like have a leadership model that you roll out without your organization. So that's step one. The next step is uh, twofold. It's repetition and application. So I'm not a, a fan of, of doing things once and letting it go. I am a fan of repetition, repetition, repetition. So I run an eight module program. Right. By the in each module, I do I repeat and and um, do a review of content that's come before, because, you know, Jeff, if you hear something once it's in one ear and out the other. So um, when you, when as HR, you're building this curriculum, you have to build in review. 
And then the second piece you have to build in is application, right? People have to be able to apply um, what they learn on the job. So when I run my eight module program, for example, I run one module a month. And in between, they've got four weeks to apply what they learned in module one. Then after module two, they've got four weeks to apply what they learned in module two. So I'm not a fan of boot camps. Like to be really honest, I've been developing leaders for over 20 years. I don't do boot camps. You got it. I call it drip learning, Jack, right? Give them a piece, let them apply it. Give them a piece, let them apply it. Come back, see if they have any questions. So that to me is a really important component curriculum. So think about not only what your model is, but your approach to rolling it out and how you're going to make the learning stick. You know, Vanessa, in my case, to really make that learning stick, it can't be one day that's just solid of training, but I prefer different sessions, multiple sessions where we're doing more hands-on learning and then I get to take what I've learned back to the workplace and implement it. Yeah, they need time to implement. So um, I'm even, you know, before COVID, I was doing um, three-hour workshops. Now I'm down to two hours. Like, by, because people are so busy and overwhelmed, it's bite-sized pieces that are manageable. Yeah, I love everything yeah. bite-sized. Totally, right? I think we're maybe we're the bite-sized generation. Maybe we, we should write a book on that, Jeff. The bite-sized generation. What do you think? I've always wanted to write a book. Write a book and run for okay. office. I'll start with the book, The Bite-Sized Generation. Let's do it. I think oh. there's something to that. And everybody's our witness. They first heard it here. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Let's move on to our next C, culture. How do you define corporate culture and why is culture a key driver in leadership retention? Well, I mean, especially now culture is so important. So let's start with that definition. I have a really easy one that I like, and it's the way we do things around here. I love it. The way we do things around here. That's it, the way we do things around here. And in fact, when new people start in an organization, how do they pick up on your culture? They look up, they look to the top, the most executive leaders, the most senior leaders, and they go, well, how are they doing things around here? Right. What is the culture? How do we treat people? Are we late for meetings? Are we on time for meetings? Um, I have um, a couple of practical examples for you. One of my clients, Tara Taya, is an amazing HR executive. She now works at Hootsuite and she created the strategy where everybody at Hootsuite had a vacation at the same time. Literally, Hootsuite shut down for one week. What does that say? What is that? That's culture. That's mm -hmm. saying we care about you. We care about your mental health. And so we know that when you're on vacation, but the rest of the business isn't, that you're likely still checking your emails. So that's an example of how all the way from the top down, our culture tells people whether we care about them, whether we care about their mental health or not. It's interesting you bring up that particular example, Vanessa, because believe it or not, 20, 30 years ago, my father worked for a, a large company. It was a factory. He was the director of sales and they did that every summer. The factory shut down and everybody took three weeks off. And what I find really interesting is that I have yet to see that replicated other than today's example of Hootsuite. He was an innovator back in the day, your dad. Uh, well, it wasn't his, no, it, he worked there. It wasn't his decision to shut the place down. But he, yeah, he actually was a pretty good innovator yeah. when he ran his own company. Yeah, it was kind of neat. Oh, well, yeah. but it's neat to see other examples of that in, in the workplace too. Okay, so we've talked about the first three C's, compassion, yeah. 
curriculum and culture. Let's talk about the fourth one, coaching. What coaching skills do HR professionals need to have to successfully meet the needs of the leaders that they support? For sure, yeah. So I know working in an HR department that I had clients from across the organization, right? The thing is, I as an HR professional was not able to understand in depth what they did in every department. Sure, I had a, a you know an overarching understanding of what their department did and what the needs were for, for each leader, but it's actually impossible to be a subject matter expert and to under to go really deep in everything that your clients do. You just can't learn every function of the organization. So that's why coaching is really important. And so one thing, the best advice I can give to HR professionals is you don't need to have all the answers, but you do need to have the questions. And that's where coaching comes in, right? Um, one of the best coaching skills is listening, right? Like really taking the time, because sometimes I think we, we know a lot in HR, we have a lot of experience and we are good at giving advice. But if you can A, listen, just pause, like don't talk for two minutes. Don't interrupt for two minutes and give that the first coaching skill. Give people time to talk and unpack their own issue. And then the second coaching skill is asking questions. So I'm going to give you, can I give you like a super ninja coaching tip? I'll, I'll take whatever I can get okay. today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, okay. So here's my super ninja coaching tip. And by the way, I'm a certified coach. So um, I recommend actually that all HR professionals take some kind of a coaching course. It's it's so important for their general skill set. Okay, so here's your super Will ninja I be a certified ninja after this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll do a black belt in HR super ninja coaching. Okay, let's so do it. Belt, let's start with the white belt tip. Okay, so white belt tip is ask questions that start with the word what. What is super open, super open-ended? So let's say one of your clients comes in, oh, I was gonna say comes into your office, pops on a Zoom call with you and they've got an issue. And so you're, you're practicing your coaching skill of listening and then you, you, you're listening, but you really wanna understand something. Ask a what question, like um, what's, what's, um, what's challenging about that for you? Or if they're rambling, I often will say, what is your core issue? What, what's your key or your core issue of concern? Because what that question, that what question does is it's very open-ended, but it helps them to think through their core issue of concern. And so the third part of coaching really is get the, getting them to solve their own problems. And again, that's the what question. What have you tried? What have you done before? What's worked in the past? What are you thinking in terms of some options to solve this? So it, it was funny, Jeff, I actually did a course for the, the HRPO, the Human Resource Professional Association Conference a few years ago, and it was called How to Coach Somebody Right Out of Your Office, right? Because when you're using your coaching I skills, it. I don't want all of you to be on a Zoom call for an hour coaching. I want you to be on a Zoom call for 15 minutes. But when you're leveraging your coaching skills, you're listening at a better level, you're asking more focused questions, and then you're moving to brainstorming solutions. And just that trifecta of coaching is so effective. Saves you time, but it also gives your clients, it's, it's like, a, it's like um, it gives your clients way more clarity. I call it laser coaching. It's like super focused.
I think if you're a leader, what you want to do is you want to try and make your team as independent as possible. You've got all these people coming to you, pulling you in all these different directions. And what you want to do is you want to be able to, you know, devote your time and your resources and your thought where it really needs to be, not having all of these people coming to you for little things. Yeah, I know that I know that a lot of um, human resource professionals can get bogged down in managing other people's problems. And it is part of your job, absolutely, to be there in that supportive way. And when you learn to coach, you just do it more efficiently and more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great. I mean, good white belt tips there, good black belt tips there. Thank you, so, Jeff. Vanessa, I love the four C's, but let's move on to what HR professionals need to be looking for when developing leaders in their organization, or maybe when recruiting. Vanessa, what are the most important attributes of successful leaders today? What should HR teams be on the lookout for? You know, it's interesting. When, when I look at the core components of trust, um, I don't know if you've read Stephen Covey's book, the Speed of Trust, Stephen M. R. Covey. It's a terrific book. And what he looks at is the ways that we build trust is both character and competence. I think that we're hiring leaders for the competence piece, but these days, I think we've got to really hire leaders for the character piece. How respectful are they? How loyal are they? Um, do they talk straight? Do they care about their people? So to me, it's all of those character side, that, that character side of how we build trust is so important when we're hiring and promoting leaders. I think it, you, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. If you think about why we typically hire people, it is for the competence side and why we fire people is often for the character side. What if we switch that, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, sure, we need to hire leaders for a certain amount of competence. But what if we, we, we put more emphasis on the character side? You know what, you know what I find really interesting at ADP? Feedback and collaboration is really important. And we do quarterly pulses with every employee, 68,000 employees wide. And one of the questions that is asked is, do you feel that your leadership has your back? So I think that really speaks to the character and the aspect of trust. I love that. That's a great question because we know people leave leaders. They leave their managers, not their companies. So that's a really good question for leaders to think about. Vanessa, what mistakes or pitfalls have you seen that leaders should watch out for or that the HR professional might be able to help those leaders identify? Oh, in this day and age, the number one is delegation. Number one. So here, I'll give you an example of a conversation that I had with a client earlier in this week. So this person has been promoted. They've been with the organization about five years. And within that five-year time frame, they've been promoted several times. And so what they've done is as they've got promoted into every level of leadership, they've kept all of their job responsibilities from the past. So they're essentially doing three different jobs. And I said to the person, no. And for every HR professional, okay, I'm going to give you another ninja coaching question to ask your team, your leaders in your organization. I'm all for it. I'm a, I'm a ninja sponge. I'm an HR ninja sponge, Vanessa. Okay. So here's the next question. What are you paid to do? Ask your leaders, what are you paid to do? Because when you, when you know what you're paid to do, not only does it help you to prioritize but it also helps you to delegate. So I asked that leader that I was coaching that question, 
So he wrote down a list of everything he's paid to do. And I said, okay, now look at that list. Okay, ready? Here, here's the next part of this coaching process. What do you need to let go of? He's like, oh, I just realized there's seven things that I'm actually doing that are part of three jobs ago. And so we really need to help leaders figure out what they're paid to do, um, what they need to let go of, what they need to delegate. And even delegation, there's a strategy to delegation. So we need to teach them how to do that. Again, it's part of their toolkit that they need to learn. It's not rocket science, but they just never learned it in university or college. Yeah, absolutely. Now, since we've been talking, I've come up with my own list of leadership insights. And when I look at back at all the great leaders I've worked with, I think there's four A's. So can I tell you what I think the four A's are? For sure. Number one, approachability. Personally, I love to walk around the office and it's important to me that our leaders, my leaders know that they can call me when they want, that they can bounce off, bounce ideas off of me. And I can do the same. I mean, there's nothing worse than having a leader always bringing their umbrella to a brainstorming session. Approachability. So you know what's really interesting about approachability? Often I mentioned the DISC profile before. That's why it's really important for leaders to do a DISC profile or some kind of self-assessment so they can they, they understand that first pillar of really knowing myself. If you as an organization value approachability, but you have a leader who's much more from the DISC profile conscientious, introverted, focused on analysis, which people like that who are conscientious in the DISC profile can be amazing leaders. Every leadership style or every DISC style or work style has strengths and weaknesses. So for example, if your organization values approachability, but you have someone who's much more is higher on the introversion scale, they have to do what I, what I call dial up their approachability. So not all leaders are intuitively approachable. I would say probably leaders who are higher on the extroversion scale tend to be higher on the approachability scale. So as an organization, you have to decide, is approachability something that you value? And so it's interesting because for you, Jeff, as an extrovert, that's something that you value. So as a leader, let's say you're introverted or if you're coaching someone who's introverted and they don't value approachability, they have to dial it up because they may have people in their team who need an approachable leader. Not everybody will, but they will definitely have people who value approachability um, and, and really need that from their leader. Okay, let's look at how this second A of leadership helps me get just a little closer to the black belt of HR. My second A in leadership is authenticity. Now, many leaders who are respected today have earned admiration through their kindness during these difficult times and qualities such as empathy and vulnerability are important in any leader. Yeah, for sure. So I tell every leader that I work with, you need to be authentic. You have to be yourself at work and you have to be the best version of yourself at work. So as I mentioned, every work style has strengths and weaknesses. If you're someone, for example, who's um, dominant in the DISC profile, so you're very results oriented and driven and fast paced, right? That's amazing because you're focused and you, you get things done and you meet your objectives. And so the way that you show up as being an authentic leader is very different than someone who's much more steady, calmer, um, right? So there is often leaders, will, people will say to me, well, Vanessa, like, what is the best work style to have as a leader? And I always say, your work style. You need to be authentic 
you need to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are, what you need to dial up to be more effective, what you need to dial down to be more effective, but show up as yourself to work, show up as the best version of yourself to work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that too. All right. My third A for leadership is accountability. It's about being able to walk the walk and doing the things that you're going to say, but also admitting maybe you were wrong and a colleague was right. Yeah. Those are actually um, ways that you build trust. So, so admitting you're wrong and owning your mistakes is a way that you actually build trust in a relationship, right? Think about this. If somebody does something and makes a mistake and they sweep it under the rug or blame somebody else, you're losing trust in them. So owning your mistakes, people are afraid sometimes to own mistakes. Do it, own it, because know that you're building trust. Um, so that's one part of accountability, I agree. And the second, a lot of leaders struggle with, this could be something that you as an HR professional could include in your leadership curriculum, is teaching leaders how to hold people accountable. So I teach my clients how to run an accountability meeting, for example. And that's something, again, it's not rocket science, but many leaders just don't think about how to do that strategically. So far, the four C's are awesome. They fit perfectly. And it sounds like the, the three A's are doing okay so far. Love and I'm going to give you my fourth A. It's ascension. I think that it's important that a leader is always willing to teach and share. You talked about that. Um, that they're always thinking about how am I maybe going to leave this organization better than when I when I uh, when I started here? How am I helping build the skill set of my leadership team? Okay, so Carol Dweck is a professor from university, uh, Stanford University, and she for twenty years uh, researched successful people and what what keeps people in that place of medi mediocrity and what helps successful people to move forward. And she identified mindset as the key issue. So this is so related to your fourth A of ascension. Mindset are our beliefs. And she identified two beliefs. One is fixed, where your belief is everything's set in stone. And one is growth, where you believe nothing's set in stone. With hard work, everything can improve. That is in day one of any leadership program that I deliver to clients, we learn about fixed and growth mindset because that's the key to ascension. You as a leader have to have a growth mindset. You have to be learning and growing all the time. You as a leader have to have a growth mindset with your teams because you have to understand that they're growing all the time too. So yeah, I, I love Ascension. And I think Carol Dweck's tool, a fixing growth mindset is something practical that um, anyone listening can teach their leaders to teach them how to leverage that skill of Ascension. Vanessa, I have really enjoyed our talk today and I've made a ton of notes. Is there anything impactful that you'd like to say that we haven't covered yet? What I would like to say is as HR professionals, our job is to support other people. And in this day and age, you really need to support yourself too. So that's the one thing that I would say is make sure you're taking care of yourself so you can support others. Take your vacation, do your meditation, listen to your uplifting podcast. My latest podcast is Jay Shetty. He has a podcast called On Purpose, which I find so uplifting. Keep yourself healthy and your mindset in a growth place so that you can support others. Because if you're burnt out, you're not going to be able to do your job. So Vanessa, how can people reach you? So my company is called Mosaic People Development. So you can Google Mosaic People Development. 
you can find me. I'd love to link link in with you at Vanessa Udelman, J-U-D-E-L-M-A-N. My website is mosaicpdforpeopledevelopment.com. So yeah, link in with me. I'm on Instagram. Um, Yeah, find me on social. Email me. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. I'm always accessible. It's actually one of my core values, Jeff, is accessibility. All right, so let's get to what is one of my favorite parts of the podcast, and that's where we get to learn just a little bit more about you, and that is your five favorite things. You ready for this, Vanessa? You bet. Let's do it. All right, Vanessa, number one, what's your favorite tool to help you get work done? I would say... Probably two. One is Dropbox, which I love from a team perspective. Um, I think there's always we always need to find ways to share share documents. The second is kind of um, the way that I keep organized, and I think everybody has different ways to keep organized. I use a combination of like an old fashioned notebook, you know, those like books, Jeff, like like pens. So I use a combination of my phone and my notebook to keep organized. And when I teach time management, I always say to people, you don't have to only rely on technology. Know your work style. Many people feel afraid to go, they're like, that's not cool to go back to paper and pen. I honestly, I need to write my to-do list every single day to stay organized. So that's what works for me. And I always say to people, find that method that works best for you. All right, number two of your five favorite things. What's your favorite resource to go to for industry information? I love LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I think it's terrific. They've come a long way. Um, There's so many resources, uh, so much information, ways to connect with people. That's my place to go is LinkedIn. Yeah, it's awesome. I agree. All right, Vanessa, what is the first concert that you ever attended? Wow. You know, I think it was Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, wow. Where? That was a long time ago. Sorry, everybody. You're going to know that I'm really old now. Like Where when was I was it? A week at the c and my I remember my parents taking my brother and I at the Isn't stadium. Cool? A, at a the long stadium. time ago. I remember the outdoor stadium there. Outdoor right stadium the at c and Yeah. Awesome. As a kid. What? Well, it's nice that your parents took you to see them. Cool. What was your favorite concert that you've ever attended? Okay, so that's an easy question. Hands down, Billy Joel. When I was 16, I went to a Billy Joel concert in Toronto and I was the biggest Billy Joel fan ever. And a friend of mine had given me a green scarf for my birthday. So I took my favorite green scarf to the Billy Joel concert. We had great seats. And at one point during the concert, I threw my brand new scarf onto the stage and Billy Joel picked it up and sang a whole song wearing my green scarf. I will never forget that moment. I think I screamed for three hours. I was so excited. Yeah. Does it get any better than that? All right. What is your favorite piece of advice that you'd give to a young professional just starting out? I would say don't judge your experiences. Know that every experience that you're having now is going to help you in the future. Even if you don't think it's going to help you in the future, I'll give you an example. Back in the day, I had a terrible boss, like a really mean boss who made my life miserable. And at the time I was like, why is this happening to me? This is such an awful experience. Now, fast forward, 
I use that experience of that bad boss to help me be a better leader and to help me teach leaders what not to do. So every experience that you have, even if you deem it, whether you deem it quote unquote positive or quote unquote negative, there's no such thing as a negative experience because those quote unquote negative experiences, you're still going to learn something from it. Maybe it'll help you if you have a job you don't like. Great. That's a positive experience because that's going to help you figure out what you do want. So that's my advice. Don't judge experiences as negative or positive. Just know that each one is helping you to get closer to being the best version of yourself at work. It's all about celebrating that struggle. Absolutely. And knowing that at the end of the struggle is success for you. It's growth. It's development. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with feeling failure. It's really about you just don't want to feel defeated. When you feel failure, it's a good chance for you to step back. You get to assess things, figure out what you're going to do next, what you're going to do different next time. Yep. That's the growth mindset learning from that failure. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today on the Insights Outwork podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It was terrific, Jeff. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks so much for the time today. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.